happily. That word happily means perhaps. It means the possibility. It means just maybe. So what that text says is that Jesus saw that fig tree and he recognized it was a fig tree by its leaves. That means he recognized what it was and he went to that fig tree to see if by chance it just might have some fruit. And even though it was not seasoned, he cursed that tree because it had no fruit. There's a lesson in that for every Christian, but I don't have time to preach that one this morning. We're going to move on to another part of the text. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. His disciples heard it, and they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. Now, I don't have time to preach this one either, but people have said things about selling things in the church, and some churches have coffee in their foyer, and some churches have um, snacks in their foyer, and, and sometimes they, they sell things just like we sell He's Alive t-shirts in the foyer. We may sell an umbrella or something that says Faith Baptist Church in the foyer, and there are those that will criticize that. There are those that, that will say that, that that is buying and selling goods in the temple. Can I tell you, that's not what these people are doing. This is the Pharisees. They're using God's house as a den of thieves. They're using God's house as a way to make money. What they're doing is they're buying spotted, imperfect animals. You'd have to go back to the Levitical law, but God laid out a perfect sacrifice. God laid out about the first lamb, the unspotted sheep, the first male ram, the first goat. God laid out how to bring the sacrifice into his house. And what they were doing was buying seconds. They were buying stuff. And then they were selling it for profit and allowing people to buy that and use that for a sacrifice. God says you're going to do it my way if you're going to do it at all. Amen. Verse number 17, he taught them saying, is it not written? My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. The scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. When even was come, he went out of the city, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Y'all remember yesterday that tree had leaves on it. Peter called to remember Seth and said, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shalt not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. I want to bring a message this morning. What do you do? What do you do when the mountain just won't move? God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. And God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for loving us in spite of us. God, I pray your sweet Holy Spirit would move in this place. God, we call upon you in a time of need, God. 
Lord, we need you to move in this place. We need you to lift burdens, God. We need you to break down walls, tear down barriers, God. We need you to restore marriages. We need you to heal the sick, God. We need you to, to move mountains, God. We need you to calm some storms, Father. We, you said that we could come to you. We can come into your throne room of grace, God. We come because you said we could. And I'm asking you right now, may your sweet Holy Spirit move in this place. Do what only you can do, God. There's a multitude of people in here with a multitude of mountains, a multitude of problems, a multitude of needs, and only you can meet every one of them. Only you can speak to every heart in here individually. Take one message and speak so many different ways. God, I ask you, will you speak to your people this morning? Help us to be pleasing to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what do you do when the mountains just won't move? What do you do when the storm just won't go away? Well, what do you do when the valley that you're walking in seems to have no end? I called Brother Tim, and y'all be patient because I don't have the answer just yet. I, I said, I, I called him Tuesday evening, and I said, I've been studying something. I know your family's done a couple songs in the past, and I want you to have those songs ready. I said, we, we may sing them. I said, this may not even be for Sunday. I, to be honest, I'm really not sure exactly what, what it is. It, it was Tuesday. It was going to be a very busy week, all week long. And normally I'd study all day on Wednesdays. But I was, I was trying to get some studying done ahead of time on Tuesday after the staff meeting and after everything was finished up here. Got home, trying to look ahead to Wednesday. But everything kept coming back to this passage about mountains. Everything kept coming back to a passage and thoughts and everything about what do you do? What do you do when your mountain won't move? What do you do when you call on the Scripture? What do you do when you've prayed? What do you do when you're giving everything you've got, but the mountain just won't move? And I said, I, I know this can't be for Wednesday night, because on Wednesday I've been going through 2 Corinthians. We're teaching through the book. We were starting chapter 11, verse number 1 on Wednesday night. I said, this can't be about Wednesday. I said, I've been studying a little bit, and I'm preparing to what the Lord would have me to do. I knew that on Thursday afternoon I would get the opportunity to preach at Mr. Wilbur Fold's funeral. Thank you guys so much. Thank y'all so much for being here. Continue to pray for the Foles family. But I knew what I was studying had nothing to do with the funeral. I knew that on Thursday night I would be preaching down at the men's Bible study. And it had nothing to do with that. And I was trying to put it together in a message, but I wasn't sure. Because sometimes God shows me stuff and I try so hard to make a message out of it. Until finally God says, stop it. That's not for a message. That's for you. One of the problems with being a preacher is every time I find something in this book, I try to find out how to make it a message. And sometimes God just has to say, that ain't for them. Everything is for me. Some of them are for me to get to share with you. Some of them aren't. So I told Tim, I said, I'm, I'm really not sure what this is going to be, but I said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to pray for me. Because I said, the problem is this is not my decision to make. That's one of the beauties of being a preacher. It's not my choice. It's not my decision to make. All I need to know is, God, what do you want me to preach? This is not my church. This is not my plan. You are not my people. You're God's people. You're God's chosen vessel. You're washed in the blood of the Son of God. It has no, I just need to know, Jesus, what do you want me to tell your people? That's all I need. Not to so just be praying because I don't want to mess this up. 
I just want to get it right on Sunday morning. And Tim said, well, I don't know if this is any confirmation, but I can tell you that the first song the choir is doing Sunday morning is For Every Mountain. And he said, the second song we're going to do is going to be Psalms 23. So I don't know if it's any confirmation or not. And I said, well, you just be praying for me. Because I believe God has something very special in store for this place today. I believe that God has something in store for his people. Anybody in there have a problem? You, you, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want to. Anybody in here walking in a valley? Anybody in here have any storms going on in your life? Anybody facing any situations at work or at school? Anybody trying to condemn your faith and tear you down? Anybody trying to tell you you're a hypocrite or tell you that your faith is no good? Anybody trying to, to build walls around you? Anybody causing problems in your life? Is there anything going on in your life? Do you feel like you're being held to the fire and you just don't understand why won't God get me out of this? There's a very familiar passage, Daniel chapter 3. I know probably everybody in this place knows about this passage. Pretty much everybody's heard about those three little Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I doubt that there's anybody in here hadn't heard of them. And what happened with these three young men, I want you to understand they purposed in their heart that they would serve God. Here comes three key words. No matter what. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the king there at Babylon, and he built this giant gold statue, and he said that at the sound of the music, everyone at the sound of the music will bow down and worship this golden image which I have set up. And if you do not, you will be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. The music played. They heard the music. but They've already purposed in this heart. I'm going to serve my, can I tell you something? Serving God is not going to come for free. There's a world that wants to stop you. There's a world that hates you. There's a world that wants to destroy you. There's a world that wants to tear you down. There's a devil that wants to destroy your life. There's a devil that wants to see you fall. There's a devil that wants to take you out. There's a devil that doesn't want anybody else to see Christ in you because they just might get saved if they see what God's done in your life and how God picked you up. And there's a devil wanting to destroy those three young boys. And they did not bow down. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He had them brought in. But fortunately for them, the king liked them. Isn't it good when the teacher likes you? Anybody a teacher's pet? Good when the teacher likes you. I never had that problem. They hated me. <laughs> they said I talked too much. Imagine that. So because the king liked them, he said, you know what? I'm not just going to throw you in the fire right off. I'm going to give you another chance. Anybody like second chances? You know when you mess up, right? So he says, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm just going to assume maybe you didn't hear it. I'm going to assume you didn't get it right. But here's what you better know. You better know that I said at the sound of the music, you better bow down and worship that golden image that I've set up. And if you don't, I'm going to cast you into the burning fire furnace. And here's what he said. Who is that God that will deliver you out of my hand? Those three little Hebrew boys 
So we're not careful to answer thee in this matter, O king. <laughs> we know that our God is able. We know that our God is able to deliver us out of thine hand. What they said is either way, I'm getting out of your hand. Whether I go in the fire or not makes no difference. Either way, I know that my God can deliver us out of your hand. And we're not going to bow down to a false god. The king was furious. He told them to heat the oven seven times hotter than normal. And he took his choicest men and he said, bind them. That means tie them up, wrap them up, and cast them into the fire. The fire was so hot that it killed some of the men that threw them into the fire. And the king, sitting up there in all of his pride and his arrogance, looks down into the fire and says, Did, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they said, yeah, that's what we did. He said, look. Huh. He said, I see four. And they're loosed and walking about. They're not bound. They're not in chains. They're not in restrictions. They're walking about. But here's your key. He said, the fourth is like unto the Son of God. God may not deliver you from your fiery furnace. He may not take away your fiery furnace, but he'll be waiting on you when you get in the fiery furnace. And how he chooses to get you out on the other side is his business. The Bible says they came out and there wasn't even a smell of smoke on their clothes. Move on over a little bit in chapter 6. It gets a little better, don't it? Old Daniel gets center stage right down in his own book. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel purposed in his heart to serve the Lord. Daniel said, my God is big enough. Daniel said, my God's going to be enough. He said, cancer ain't got nothing on me. Infection ain't got nothing on me. Problems ain't got nothing on me. Burdens ain't got nothing on me. He's unpurposed in his heart. Daniel says, I'm going to serve God no matter what. Now, there's some men that didn't like Daniel. The king liked him. king loved him. But those men didn't. And those men knew that Daniel worshiped God every day. Anybody in here worship God every day? Anybody in here pray every day? Anybody in here read this book every day? There's some people that hate you for that. So they said, hey, man, let's get with the king and let's tell him, if anybody worships any other God, let's throw him into the lion's den. They brought it to the king, and the king got momentarily caught up in all of his pride. That sounds like a good idea. If anybody doesn't worship me and my gods, they ought to go on the lion's den. So he, he, they have him do the decree, and he signs it, and he stamps it with his own ring. And then the very next day, old Daniel opens his windows, and he bows his face before a holy and righteous God, and he begins to praise God. And here comes the little troublemaker. They run back to the king. King. Didn't you sign a decree that said if anybody worshiped God, they'd be cast into the lion's den? He said, I did. That old boy Daniel, that old boy you like so much, Daniel, he's up there in the window right out in front of everybody praying. Now, you're going to keep your word? You're going to cast him in there or not? See, the king's got a problem here because he likes Daniel. But he's done signed a decree. And it's the king's decree. So he says, well, bring old Daniel on in here. So he brings him in, and he has no choice. There's no second choices. There's no option. He says, i got to cast him in. But here's what the king says, old Daniel. 
Daniel, thy, thy God whom I serve, he, he, he's able to deliver you. See, the king wanted to believe that. Daniel did believe that. So the king took, had him cast him into the lion's den. You got this pit dug down in the ground. It's cold. It's damp. There's no way out without a ladder. He's just down in there. They cast him into the lion's den. Now, the king knows how this works out because he's done this before. I mean, the lions has got to eat, right? He's got some big old pet kitty kitties. And they got to eat. So anybody that makes the king mad, guess who the main course is for kitty kitty? Yes, Lord. So Daniel, Daniel is one of the king's favorites. He loves him, but the king knows how this works out. He's thrown men in there before. And he knows how it's a painful, torturous death and how the lions rip them apart and eat their flesh. He knows how the next day he comes back and they've been devoured and there's nothing but some broken bones left where the lions have destroyed him. The king knows what is in store for Daniel. And the king goes back to his house. The Bible says he's up all night. He's frantic. He's nervous. He's anxious. Man, he's bothered by it. And, oh, he just, he don't know what he's going to do in the Bible. Finally, early, early the next morning, he takes off running down to the lion's den. And he cries out, Oh, Daniel, has thy God, whom thou servest continually, been able to deliver thee of the lion's den? Now, while the king was up all night fretting and walking the floors, Daniel's over in the lion's den. He says, Come here, kitty, kitty. Lay down right there. He'd be still, and he fetches up and makes him a nice soft pillow, not up on the ribs. He gets right there in the soft spot of the stomach where it'd be nice and soft. And he lays down and makes him a pillow right in the middle of one of them old lines. And he says, come here, kitty, kitty. You come lay down right here. I'm a little cold laying on this old wet ground. Hey, you, yeah, yeah, big boy, you with all the mane, all the hair. Come get right here, lay behind me, get all that hair out here, put your leg right here. And Daniel's down there warm and toasty. Right in the middle of kitty kitties. And the king's up there all friendly. He says, oh, Daniel. Oh, Daniel. Daniel's out cold. <gasps> Has thy God, whom thou servest, <laughs> been able to deliver you? Oh, king, live forever. My God is able. My God hath delivered me from the mouth of the lion. See, God didn't deliver him from the lion's den. He delivered him through the lion's den. He didn't take him away from kitty kitty. He just turned kitty kitty into a house pet. And just to let you know, they wasn't tamed. The men that accused Daniel, them and all their family got thrown in behind them. And the lions ate every one of them and broke all their bones to pieces. Mark chapter 5. Jesus gets off a boat over at Gadara. There was a man there, demon-possessed, came to him, and Jesus cast out the demons. And they went into the herd of swine, and the swine ran, and they fell off the steep edge, and they fell down into the ocean. All the swine was killed. And, and, and the Gadarenes there in the land of Gadara, they've all been out of shape. They're mad about it because they lost some money. Their pigs died. They don't care that Jesus just cast a demon out of this man that's been a nutcase for years. They don't care about the miracle that God did. They're just mad because it cost them a few cents. 
So they asked Jesus to leave their coast. So he gets in a boat. They get on the Sea of Tiberias, and they cross over to the other side. They come to a place called Capernaum. They get to a place called Capernaum, and when he gets off the boat, there's a man comes to him named Jairus. Anybody know about Jairus? Jairus has a daughter. We do it in the Easter place. She lays right up here. Jairus' daughter is sick. She's really bad sick. She's almost dead. Jairus knows that my daughter can be dead in a matter of minutes. And he tells Jesus, if you'll just come touch my daughter, she'll be healed. Anybody ever need God to hurry up? Anybody ever need God? God, I don't, maybe you wasn't looking, God, but this bill is due tomorrow. God, they're going to turn off my lights and come get my car in the morning. God, the doctor said my family member won't live through the night. God, I, I don't know if you're aware, but God, I need you to hurry up. I'm the only heathen in the house. Anybody in here ever need God to hurry up? Jairus needed Jesus to hurry up. My daughter is almost dead. And if we hurry up and get there, I know you can heal her, but time is of the essence. Oh, oh y'all, y'all front three rows, get up. Come here, I need y'all right here. Get right here a minute, get right here. Oh, y'all, that's front three rows, y'all come on. I would have got the fourth row. My wife's on it, and she's cooking today, and she wouldn't let me eat if I got the fourth row. <laughs> Oh, y'all, make me a big old wad right here in the middle. Y'all don't get in the line. Make me a big old pile right here. All of you right there. So, so y'all right there. Y'all good. So here's the deal. Jairus needs Jesus to hurry up. There's a mob of people there to see Jesus. Jesus is in the mob. People are touching him everywhere, and he's touching people. He's fellowshipping with all of them. They all are saying, Master. Hosanna, son of David, glory to God in the highest. And he's walking through this mob of people, and everybody's touching him. And he's just taking his time. And then all of a sudden, this woman in the back that's had an issue of blood for 12 years, done spent all of her money, and God can't, or the doctors can't heal it, she says, I know that if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be made whole. So here he is, he's amongst all these people. They're all touching him, thronging him. She touches the hem of his garment, and he stops and says, Who touched me? Now, you got all these people around touching him. Don't you know the disciples said, Master, really? You're kidding, right? Look at all these people. Every one of them touching you. You got people touching you all over. And you want to know who touched me? He says, oh, no, 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 no. Virtue left my body. Virtue went out of me. Thank you. Y'all be seated. He's in the midst of all this crowd. Everybody touching. He says, no, they touched me with their hand. Somebody touched me with their faith. Somebody touched me that needed something. Somebody touched me that needed a mountain move. Somebody touched me that had a serious problem, and they believed that I could heal it. Somebody touched me, and power went out of my body. 
he turns around and it's that woman. And he talks to her and he tells her that thy faith has made thee whole. He turns back around, there's a scene going on right over here. Somebody's done come from Jairus' house. And when you read it in the text, it don't seem like much. Somebody came, told him that his daughter's dead. Leave the master alone. That's the end of the story, right? You can read it in about three seconds. See, the story didn't happen quite like that. That's just how fast you can read it. Somebody came from Jairus' house to tell him that your daughter's dead. Somebody came to tell him that the master didn't get there quick enough. Your daughter's died. Don't you know they're dreading telling him? Don't you know everybody here has experienced this? It's one thing for somebody in your family to die. It's one thing for something to happen to somebody in your family. But when you start trying to tell it, you just come unglued. He's got to tell Jairus, don't, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter's already died. Jairus, on the other hand, sees the servant coming. You got to know he knows why he's coming. You got to know he knows what's up. He sees it on his face. He sees it in everything. He sees the turmoil and the anguish. He sees the problem. He sees it, and he's thinking, Lord God, tell me anything. Tell me she's better. Tell me the fever broke. Please just don't tell me she died. And then he hears his worst fear come to reality. Trouble not the master. Your daughter has died. Don't you know when Jesus looked over there, that's a bad scene going on. Don't you know that's some trouble, that's some broken hearts, that's some tears. Jesus walked over. Somebody needs to be listening right now. He said, fear not. Only believe. And he went on to Jairus' house. And he called the daughter by name. And he told her to arise. And she arose from the dead. Jesus was in the garden in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. He said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Father, if thou be willing... Remove this mountain from in front of me. Remove this, this valley. Remove this trial. Remove this cup. This cup is the sins of all the world, yours and mine. Father, will you remove this cup? If you're willing, remove this from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, what that tells me is what the Bible has already confirmed, is that Jesus Christ became a man just like you and I. Jesus Christ had a free will just like you and I. Jesus Christ had the ability to make choices just like you and I. The difference is he always chose the Father's will because he understood that the Scripture says, My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. For my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, Jesus always understood that even if I don't understand it here, God has a perfect plan, and God's holding everything in his hand. So what do you do when the mountains just won't move? You either believe him or you don't. You either trust him or you don't. If you stand on your faith in him, God will either 
move your mountain or he'll give you the strength to climb your mountain. I read a devotion this week. It said God is still trying to write your story. Take trying out of it. God is still writing your story. Anybody listening? God is still writing your story. Stop trying to take the pen. God knows how your story ends. God knows what he's doing. God knows what this mountain's about. God knows what the trial is for. God knows every detail. God is still writing the story. Stop trying to take the pen. God will move your mountain. We'll give you the strength to climb it, but one way or another, God's will will be done. Sometimes it may not be the mountain at all. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, I don't have time to, to read it, so I won't even try. There's a lot there. But Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith. The reason we call it the hall of faith is because there's some men and women in there that have been through a lot of trouble, been through a lot of trials. See, we call it the hall of faith, not the hall of deliverance, because they all had to go through something to make it into Hebrews chapter 11. God may just be writing your chapter. God may just be writing the story that can include you and all of your great faith into Hebrews chapter 11. So what do you do when the mountains just won't move? Mark chapter 4, Jesus said, let us pass over to the other side. So they got in another boat. Verse number 36 says that when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he, talking about Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. They awake him, saying to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He arose and rebuked the wind. <laughs> he said unto the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's the manner of man that is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you right now. It's the manner of the man that shed his blood on Calvary's cross and washed away all your sins, wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life by his own grace and mercy because the Father gave him permission to do so. It's the kind of man that hears every prayer you pray. It's the kind of man that hears every fear you have, knows every thought you're thinking about. It's the kind of man that sometimes you just have to keep calling out, what do you do? What do you do? Anybody ever had a mountain that just won't move? You've prayed, you've tried, you need God to show up. What do you do?
Brother, I told you at some point we'd sing a song. I think it's a good time to sing a song. Your cries have awoken the master. Y'all go ahead and sing. <laughs> 